Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company and our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Calm Mysteries the sequel by Jeffrey Deaver. Read by Perry F. Bruns. Outside the window, the jackhammers echoed the fierce thudding of his heart. But a reference to a manuscript does not a manuscript make. Caitlin? Lowell called into the ante office. Yes? asked the young woman, a brunette who would be delicate looking if not for the ink and piercings. Like Lowell, she was an NYU law school grad, cum laude but one who preferred a more blended life than practicing law offered, as a paralegal during the day and an East Village songstress at night. Hold all calls and cancel meetings for the next two days. Is everything all right? Oh yes, very much all right, the lawyer said enthusiastically and with more volume and animation than normal, earning him an amused but suspicious gaze from his assistant. Frederick Lowell was not known for outpourings of emotion, in fact, he was not known for much emotion at all. 
One aspect of the job as trustee of the Goodwin estate that Lowell did not enjoy was, curiously, a main contractual duty, collecting and distributing to the heirs the royalties and other payments that Cedar Hills generated. He'd come to believe that if anything had derailed the lives of Goodwin's children, it was the late author's generosity. The will provided that several libraries and literary foundations would receive modest bequests and that the rest be divided equally between Goodwin's son, Stoddard, and daughter, Anna. The problem was less the large lump-sum windfall they received at the time of their father's death, but the promise of regular income for the rest of their lives, or at least for so long as Cedar Hills remained in print. The offspring, in their twenties when their father passed, had immediately quit their jobs. And from that moment on, they began to coast through life, Stoddard had tried his hand at a number of small businesses which had not so much failed as petered out when he, or his wife Beth, grew tired of them. He golfed and tennised a lot. Anna had tried to follow in her father's footsteps and had written several novels, only one of which was published. It received indifferent notices. She gave up and, unlike her brother, found nothing as productive as sports to fill her time. Husbands and drinking became her pastimes. Apart from cutting the checks, Lowell didn't have much to do with the son and daughter, whom he referred to with a hint of tacit disdain as the siblings. Legally, they had no control over the disposition of Cedar Hills. Goodwin had the foresight to establish the trust that made substantive decisions about the novel. But the inconvenience of the law didn't stop the siblings from meddling, Stoddard and Beth at least. They would frequently call, offering suggestions about advertising and merchandising, as if an action figure based on Jonas Anderson, the patriarch at the center of Cedar Hills, would be snapped up by Mattel. They were suspicious about the flow of income and insisted on detailed financial statements, which Lowell, meticulous by training and nature, readily provided. As for Anna, Lowell had received only a dozen calls from her in the past five years, and none about business. Mostly, she rang him up late at night, drunk and sentimental, and asked for details of her father's life, which he was unable to provide, never having met the man himself. But several hours after receiving the letter from the lawyer in Connecticut, Lowell was on Metro North, speeding to White Plains to see the siblings. He was met at the station by Stoddard, now in his sixties. Trim, tall, and fit, strikingly resembling his father, the man greeted Lowell with a weak handshake and averted eyes. "'So look at that park,' he said, pointing at a green near the station. "'They were close to finishing it, but never did. There is a huge battle in City Hall. Do you know how many people sit on the Board of Supervisors?' As they climbed into an old, musty Cadillac and sped off, the man went on and on about the matter. Lowell paid no attention. He'd learned by now that Stoddard believed that if you preemptively rambled enough— people would forget to deliver bad news. He hadn't told the siblings about the letter mentioning the sequel, just that he wanted to see them about an important matter. He was worried that forewarning would give them time to think up dozens of questions, as well as schemes about how to maximize the income they'd be receiving from the new book. It seemed that a wise detective would play cards close to his chest. WWSSD. What would Sam Spade do? That was Frederick Lowell's new mantra. They drove for ten minutes on the highway before Stoddard turned off and began threading along increasingly smaller surface roads. Finally, they left pavement altogether, 
This was curious. It was not the way to his and Beth's house, and Anna, he knew, had recently lost her residence to her third husband in a messy divorce. Soon all he could see was Westchester County wilderness, thick trees mostly, a marsh or two. Lowell's curiosity at their route turned to shock when he saw their destination. Thank you, detectives, for listening to tonight's Calm Mystery by the Murder Mystery Company. I'm Perry F. Bruns. Would you like to show somebody you care? Is there a mystery fan in your life? Couldn't they use a quiet moment and a great story? I'm doing personal stories of 20 minutes or less. Something personal like this can make a friend or family member feel truly loved in an otherwise dark time. They're only $49, and you can email me at calmmystery, that's C-A-L-M mystery, at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay tuned for more tales to tingle and terrify while giving you a needed break from the outside world.